It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everybody, welcome to the Pipeline Podcast and Happy New Year to everybody out there in prospect land. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. It is our first Pipeline Podcast of 2019. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. All right, we got some stuff to get to. We're going to talk about later in the podcast about the most improved systems during 2018. So a little look back. That doesn't mean the best minor league system, just the ones that took a step forward, whether it was from the back half to the front or or vice versa. You know, moving up is, is the key. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But before we get to that, we wanted to talk about New Year's resolutions Uh, And Jonathan put word out on Twitter for people's what kind of their wish list for 2019 from a prospect standpoint. So we're going to go through some of those and maybe mix in our own as well. Um, I'll get right to it, guys. I kind of pick the best ones off of Twitter, off of Jonathan's feed. Let's start with Wax Packs, who says Pete Alonzo debuting in Queens in 2019, which is going to happen. What we don't know is when it will happen. Jonathan, that is definitely something people are looking forward to, though, especially, obviously, in New York. Yeah, well, they were looking forward to it in, in 2018, <laughs> uh, you know, and it, and it didn't happen. So I think a lot of it's just going to be when they want to get that clock started and, and how they're going to get him, you know, how they'll get him into the lineup. He's first baseman only, and you know, they have Dominic Smith, who, yes, was playing some outfield. Uh, you know, so they'll have to figure out uh, how how they're going to make that all work. But uh, it's pretty clear that he doesn't have anything left to prove in the minors, uh, and they have made noise that they are not opposed to him beginning the year on you know opening day. Clearly, the Mets think that they can win this year, and if they think that they have a better chance of winning with him in the lineup starting on opening day, then I think you're going to to see him there. I'm curious to see how how they're going to make it work from a from a roster lineup standpoint but you know in terms of what he can do power wise he, he he's ready to contribute to city field for sure hey, i'm gonna throw out a question at you jonathan because i was thinking about this when you brought up dominic smith's name how confident are you in dominic smith being a productive big leaguer both in 2014 uh, 2019 and beyond given that he struggled as much as he has in 300 big league at bats to this point yeah, I would say 2014. He was how old? Um, but uh, it would have been 19, so it might have been tough. Yeah, it might have been might have been tough. I um, I'm certainly less confident because I, I really thought the one thing that he was going to do uh, was hit, you know, with a decent approach, even if the power didn't come and and things things of that nature. And uh, he he's kind of lost his way. Now that said, he is not going to be 24 until june uh so i think there's time um but he does need to come out of the gates and and show that that you know that he can 
hit right away. Otherwise, he's he's going to find himself back in the lineup. Or, well, I was wrong about my dogs ones. being quiet, but. Uh, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting because I, I was with you 100%, Jonathan, in terms of I would have thought that Dominic Smith would hit for average if maybe the power didn't come right away, and it's been the reverse. I don't know if he sold out for power, but I never would have thought that this is a guy who would have had a 47 to 4 strikeout-to-walk ratio. And it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, Robinson Cano may fit at first base if you have Jeff McNeil at second, um, and we'll just have to see how it, it all shakes out. I, I, I'm with you. I, I suspect, even though they're contending, that they will find a reason to keep Peter Alonso in the minors at least long enough to de- delay his free agency for a full year. Yeah, that seems certain um, because it's just the thing teams do at this point. All right, the next one, and probably the one that I should have started with, but we'll go for it with the second spot here. Uh, Prague says, Vlad Guerrero Jr., best hitter, some scouts say. Forrest Whitley, best pitcher some scouts have seen. That's what he is looking forward to, is seeing those two premier prospects finally get to the big leagues because we've been waiting for it, and they could both have huge 2019s. Jim? No, I agree. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I think you can make the case that, that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is as impressive a young hitter as – as people have seen, I mean, he's right up there with anybody I can remember. And I'm getting old, and I've been covering this stuff for almost 30 years now. Um, I, I think I, I don't really see the Jays contending this year. I mean, there's always a surprise wild card contender, too. Maybe that will be them. But I suspect they'll find a reason to keep Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the minors for two or three weeks to delay his free agency. Um, you know, Willie's going to be the interesting one because, I mean, there's a team that – you know, basically at the standpoint, you know, it's win the World Series or else. I don't know if I'd say – I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say he's the best pitching prospect they've ever seen. That's a bit much, but he's very, very good, and he's the best in baseball. The, the, the dilemma with him is going to be even if you factor in the Arizona Fall League, he only pitched 60 innings this season between the suspension and a couple of minor injuries – how many innings are you going to really put on his arm next year? I mean, I don't know if you can go much over 100, and I certainly don't think you can go over 120. So unless you want to have another Steven Strasburg debacle, um, and I would think the Astros would think about this before the season, and so they avoid that debacle, you know, you're going to have to figure out how to manage him so you don't run out of innings before the postseason because that's when it really matters. Yeah, I mean, pure stuff-wise, he I, he can get big league hitters out, and, and I could see why they even contemplated in 2017, like bringing him up to help out in the bullpen. But yeah, he he's yet to throw over 100 innings in a season. Uh, you know, 90, just to touch over 92 in 2017, which was his first full year. Uh, he's still so young, uh, so I agree. I think we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer on him. Uh, maybe he starts, and then late in the year they bring him up, and he helps out in the bullpen. Uh, that way he is contributing, but they're also monitoring his, his workload. Um, you know, but after the year that he had last year with all the all the missed time, uh, there is a, a lot that uh, that I think he still needs just in terms of time on the mound before he gets called up. The good thing from an Astros perspective, I think, is that you don't need him to be a starter in the postseason necessarily. Obviously, with Verlander and Cole, you have the big one-two punch out there, and if you have him – as a, a factor late in games, maybe he could be even more effective in a postseason run. So maybe that helps from an inning standpoint. But certainly another guy that I think everybody that follows prospects is excited to see. All right, next up, this one from Mike Quinlan. My wish is for a full season from Luis Robert. 
and have him take over the number one spot for 2019 into 2020. Jonathan, back to you for your first thought on that. Well, I, you know, I, does he mean like the number one spot on, in your prospect on the list? Top 100 or on the White Sox list? I think in the top 100. I, I mean, I think that's a stretch. Uh, well, that's what wishing is all about, right? Uh, fine, take his side. <laughs> um, I, you know, he's very talented. He's got a ton of tools. He's very young. Uh, he's played a grand total of uh, let me see, 68 games in the United States, including the Arizona Fall League. He did look very good in the Arizona Fall League when I saw him. Um, it's a very small sample size, but the tools were on display. So I, I could see a, a healthy year from him, uh, allowing him to just catapult up close to the top. Um, and then couple that with, you know, the expected graduations of a bunch of the guys at the top, then maybe he gets close to that. But, um, I mean, sure, dream big. I mean, you can – I agree with you. I don't necessarily see him being number one, but you could definitely dream on the tools. I mean, the question is, is he going to hit and is he going to stay healthy? Two things he hasn't done a whole lot of outside the Arizona Fall League, and even the AFL he hit, but he got hurt. But in terms of, you know, power, speed, exit velocity combination, he's up there with anybody, but he also has a lot to prove, which is why I would would agree with Jonathan and err on the side of of seeing him jump up the list, but number one seems like a bit much. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's stick with the White Sox theme because they were they are active, they're excited about the prospects, and really I think there's there's some – murmuring that the White Sox may be able to push for a possible wild card spot, depending on what they can do here in free agency the rest of this offseason. But Andrew, whose handle is SuperSoxFan79, says he hopes that Aloy Jimenez wins Rookie of the Year and that Blake Rutherford breaks out with some power. Jim, you're up. Yeah, I'll go feel good about maybe one of those um you know it, it's it's funny with as good as as vladimir guerrero jr is and and obviously i i'm on record as loving him as much as anybody i i think eloy almost gets overshadowed more than he should because i you know in terms of hitting for average and power eloy might you know eloy is the second best guy in the minor leagues behind vladimir guerrero jr and it's not a big goal a big gap and he's you know, he'll be playing in a good hitter's park. I mean, the ball carries well in Toronto, too. But uh, I don't I, – I would definitely I, – I, I don't even know what the odds are. But if you can bet on Rookie of the Year in Vegas, I'll, I'll bet you could get much more favorable odds on Eloy than you can on Vlad Jr. And it's probably neck and neck with those two guys. So I, I think he very well could be the Rookie of the Year. You know, Blake Rutherford, that, that, that's a tough one because – I did think people got down on him a little bit in 2017, more than he deserved. You know, he got traded. You know, he had a great debut. Then he gets traded from the Yankees to the White Sox. And people are down on him. Well, you know, he he played all last year at age, you know, pretty much age 21. And while he was, you know, that's relatively young for high A. It's not absurdly young. And he only hit seven home runs. Um, so we'll see. I mean, the White Sox have been trying to get him to. To, to hit for more power, I mean he's got you know the, the raw ingredients in terms of size and bat speed and strength and all that, but he just hasn't done it yet. And you know we were talking about Dom Smith at the beginning of this podcast, and sometimes when you decide, hey, I got to hit for more power, you know you can go too far in that direction and, and lose your hitability. So I, 
I don't know what to make of Blake Rutherford, to be honest with you. I, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to say two for two on this one. I, I think I do like Jimenez's chances uh, rookie of the year, but I do, I think that Rutherford's going to take a nice step forward in power. I, I don't know what breakout means exactly, um, but I think it's you know it, it should be noted that you know his his 2017, which was uh, which was not very good, uh, you know, then going ahead to this year. He upped his slugging percentage almost some quick math ninety ninety points. Um, it, was, it was a step in the right direction. A little more home run power. He had a bunch of triples. Uh, still had some doubles. Uh, I, I think he's going to take a nice step forward. I'm not going to go nuts, but I'm going to say you know fifteen to eighteen homers in, in 2019, uh, along with the, the the rest of the things that were were all much better in terms of. Uh, batting average and on on base skills. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on on taking the under on that, Jonathan. All right. He hits a ton of ground balls, 1.8 ground out air out ratio last year. He's gonna have to make a lot of adjustments to hit for power. So we'll we'll see. All right. One more from Twitter. This one from Andrew Botang, and he says it's more of a question. It's kind of a question. It's kind of a thought. It's kind of hoping he was right from his previous thoughts, but it'll start a conversation. That's what we're looking for. How many homers Nolan he's looking forward to and his wish is how many homers Nolan Gorman can hit starting in low A this season. And if he was justified in having him number one on his board over Casey Mize the day of the draft, obviously both of you had Casey Mize over Nolan Gorman, who slipped a little bit leading up to draft day, but he had a big breakout pro debut in 2018 so jonathan what do you think is nolan gorman going to uh pile up the homers in 2019 i think there will be plenty of homers i don't think that that will justify having him ranked ahead of casey mize on on the draft board um and i like and i like nolan gorman a lot um you know he was ridiculous in his debut uh you know the 11 homers in 38 games in the appalachian league were it was just kind of silly and then they pushed him up to uh, you know, full season Peoria, and he hit another six homers, which is very impressive. I mean, he also struck out 39 times in 107 plate appearances, uh, 39 times, sorry, in 107 plate appearances. So um, he's going to be there the f- whole year. My guess is maybe not a ton of power in April. A uh, guy from Arizona, Midwest League, cold weather, uh, often doesn't add up to you no, know, but I think. Uh, I think there is going to be some very good power numbers there. Uh, he's going to swing and miss a good amount, but I think he's going to draw enough walks to offset it. So I, he's going to have a really good first full year uh, with good power numbers. Uh, I just don't want to go too nuts over, you know, saying that he's the, the best guy from, from the 2018 draft class. Last year, Will Benson led the Midwest League with 22 homers. I will take the over on Nolan Gorman hitting 22 homers, but I would, you just don't see guys who have Casey Mize's combination of swing and miss stuff and just, you know, big league command. Casey Mize was the clear number one, although I, I think, and we both felt this, Jonathan, I think, you know, when we do our rankings, it's not just who I like and who Jonathan likes. We try to reflect the industry consensus because, you know, I don't think either of us considers ourselves the equal of, of all the scouting directors we talked to. But I did, did feel, and Jonathan, we talked about this. I mean, Nolan Gorman going 19th last year was kind of silly, and I think people 
talk themselves too much into, oh, you know, he struggled at times during the spring. Well, it's because nobody, except for, I guess, Matthew Libertor, ever threw Nolan Gorman a strike either. Um, so I, I think Nolan Gorman was underrated in last year's draft by the industry a little bit, but should not have been the number one guy. Um, I highly recommend people checking out, if they haven't seen the video of Matthew Libertor and Nolan Gorman, uh, with the ping pong ball. Did you guys see that? By the way, that was insane. Um, hand-eye coordination. Anyway, uh, you mentioned Will Benson uh, and his 22 homers. Will Benson also struck out 152 times. Jim, do you take the over or under in terms of Nolan Gorman's strikeout total in 2019 in the Midwest League? I'm going to say under. I'm going to go 25 homers, 142 strikeouts, and I want that <laughs> recorded because if I'm close to right, I expect this to be played back in the first week of September after the season is over. I have written it down. All right. Whether or not I remember then that I wrote it down is another story. So that might be on you, Jim. But uh, okay. very good. All right. Do you guys have a wish for 2019? I have one, which will not happen, but I can start if you guys want to think about sure, it. Sure. Go bit. ahead and give us sure. your wish. My wish for 2019 is that no pitching prospects undergo Tommy John surgery. How about that? How about that for positive well, it's thinking? Happen. It's not going to happen. But no. wouldn't it be great if it did? I will, I will take the over. Um, yeah, it would be fantastic, but, uh, you know, it's just track record shows these days that uh, it's not. It's, you know, the amount of times that we have to update guys on our, on our, on our lists following that surgery, uh, yeah, it, there will be plenty of them. All right, Jonathan, what is your wish for 2019? Uh, my wish is to keep Jim Callis from ever vehemently disagreeing with anything I say in 2019. You thought Tommy John surgeries was a was a uh, right? Wow. Right. We, we've agreed throughout this podcast. I don't no, think I. I mean, except for maybe Blake Rutherford a little bit, but I don't think yeah. I was vehement. So. You, no, no, you've uh, you've been very very amenable so far, which worries me. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think just uh, if I'm going to, I'm going to sort of talk more in the general sense uh, of, for me personally, being able to go out and and watch more prospects in 2019 play. Uh, I feel like, you know, we spend so much time, you know, behind our computers and putting the lists together. And when we have spring training, we have Arizona Fall League. Um, but last year, I did get out to a few places uh you know i saw hunter green's debut in dayton i went and saw vlad jr and bichette and biggio a couple times so uh, my 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 wish for 2019 is to to go out and and outside of the big you know spring training fall league and the futures game uh see more prospect talent play live all right jim yeah, that would, that, that's a good one. My, mine will be a little more specific. Uh, you, you mentioned Tommy John surgery and made me think of injured pitchers. I'd like to see Kyle Zimmer have a fully healthy season where he can pitch throughout the year for the Royals. I mean, I, I feel like I've said this a million times, and it comes up every time I talk to the Royals, but it's been one injury after another. But we're talking about a former you know, number five overall pick in the draft. And if you told me – that the Royals were going to win the 2015 World Series, I would have thought for sure that Kyle Zimmer would have been an 18-game winner in the ace of that staff. And it's amazing to me that a guy who had a relatively fresh arm because he was recruited as a position player in college 
and is you know very athletic. I mean, there were really no red flags. You know, has been unable to stay healthy. And there's optimism again. He's gone to drive line baseball. He's you know tried to improve his mechanics. He spent the fall saying he was throwing pain free. I would like to see what Kyle Zimmer could do with a fully healthy season because he really deserves it. All right. And, hey, there were a couple of wish list uh, responses to Jonathan's tweet about Pipeline. Um, they want bigger lists, guys. Instead of top 10 position list, top 20 position list. And they want draft stuff earlier. So no pressure. But uh, I know the lists aren't going to I guess to we're 20. not going to spring training this year, Jonathan. <laughs> no. Yeah. I Sometimes what people need to realize is that it's a nonstop go for you guys it's one thing to the next to the next and you get done with one project and the next one is already upon you and and i think you've pretty much maxed out on the what you can do so i'll i'll give you a pass well wait, let's Appreciate talk it. about this philosophically for a second okay. jonathan what do you think i'm not saying we're doing this by any means i'll put in that disclaimer the position list i don't really feel like we could go much deeper on because at the thinner positions like catcher or first base or second base i mean yes if we had to do 20 we'd do 20 but you'd really like the 20th best second base prospect in baseball might not be that attractive a prospect and that would be a pain but realistically what do you think how many i'll give you a two-part question how many draft guys do you think we could realistically do because we obviously have a lot more information uh, you know, for the day two broadcast and so on, then then makes it onto the site. How many draft prospects do you think we could do without killing ourselves? And then, in terms of the top 100 list, how much more difficult would it be to maintain a top, say, 125 or 150 throughout the year? I think the the second thing would be easier. Um, I mean, we you know, we're in the process of doing our top 100 now and. Uh, we rank out to 125. We could do 125. I think we we could probably do that. I mean, it's extra writing, but I, I think that's doable. Well, we actually have the reports written. It would just be more of a right. management thing, I guess. Right. Like when right. Guys, more guys came off, it's like you know, you, you, we'd be adding more guys to the bottom of the list. Yeah, I mean, it it, it dilutes it slightly, but I mean, I, I think that would be doable. The draft. I was going to actually ask, like when you said, what what could we do to not kill us? Or can I can I take less than what we currently do? <laughs> 150. I think, you know, and Jim, you and I have talked about this. We're getting pretty meta here, but um, uh, we've talked about this before. Like, for me, anything much beyond 200, it's, as it is, like 150 to 200, or the guys that just missed 200, there's not that much differentiating them. Could we put 100 more guys onto a, onto a list of you know, guys that are interesting? Yeah. Could, could we really seriously rank them? With any confidence, I, I would I would question that. <laughs> You're talking to somebody who used to rank 500 when I was at Baseball well, America, I, I, but yes, I, under, I understand. I mean, that, but, but I you are right. Like, like about that process, because so. we hear all the time. You know, like, like what you just said is correct. The guys we rank say from 151 to 200. There's not really much difference other than who you prefer between the guys you're going to rank at 201 to 250. Like, and if you surveyed, I always tell people too. Like, I think fans would be astonished if you took. This would never happen. But if let's say you got five teams to give you their draft top 200, like their their draft board, so to speak, or however deep they went, I think people would be shocked at how different those lists look after the first 15 or 20 guys. That there'd be some guy who was like 48th on one team's list, who'd be like 197 on the other team's list. So, I mean, we could do it. It, it that's the one where 
we have the information, but the amount of the time to write it up would be so right. difficult because we, you know, we do our preseason top 50, which is out now. And then right on the heels of spring training, we get back and we expand from 50 to 100. And then we go from 100 to 200 in the next month. While also, hey, by the way, we're still covering the minor leagues at the same time, too, and doing everything else we normally do. It's cranking out, like if we did a draft 300, each of us cranking out another 50 reports, oof, that would be tough. All right. Well, I think you're safe for this year. But some, some things to keep in mind heading into 2020, maybe. It's what people want. They want more, guys. So If, if we ever did go past 200, I think we could perhaps, if we did it, it would have to be a little bit more concise where maybe we ranked the guys and had, like, one or two-line comments. We, I don't think we could crank out, as we are situated now, an additional 100 scouting reports in the time frame that we do them in. Okay, quick look back, our final look back on 2018 on the podcast, and we're going to talk about systems that improved the most in 2018, and this doesn't mean they are now the best system. It just means there's been an influx in talent for one reason or another. Uh, Jim, you have a story up on the site right now about this. You go through five. I want to start with the first team, and then we'll see where we go from there. The Mariners are kind of the obvious one here, I think, Um, and they did it mostly through trades, and for the most part, this offseason, as Jerry Depoto has really committed to adding talent to that system. Now, the thing with the Mariners is they were the worst, and now they're, I guess, maybe middle of the pack. But a lot of names to add here. Justice Sheffield, Jared Kalenic, Justin Dunn, Eric Swanson. I guess 13 new players into their top 30 overall. Um, which of you guys does the Mariners? Uh, Mike does. Perfect. All right, well, Jim, you but, spoke but up. I, I wrote the story, so yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. You can do the story, but the Mariners will be my team in 2019. So Ooh. That's a good get by Jonathan. Yeah, he'll, he'll be, that'll keep him busy. See, that's I, another reason we can't go to 300, because in May, right. Jonathan will be replacing, like, six Mariners to get traded. But, yeah, it was <laughs> of that 13, the 13 guys, they're all, not only are they new to the top 30, they're new since June. I mean, you've got four draft picks, international signing, and eight trades, and yeah, I mean, you're talking about an organization that had no players on our top 100 prospects list at the end of the regular season, and now they have Justice Sheffield and Jared Kelnick and Justin Dunn uh, after you know trading Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz and James Paxton. I, I would not even go so far as to say they're middle of the pack. I, I still think if we – and we don't rank all 30 organizations um, – we rank 10. I think if we ranked all 30 organizations, the Mariners would come in about 20th right now. I mean, they were they were way back in the pack, and while they've gotten better, there's still more work to be done. Now, the interesting thing with their system is, look, we know Jerry DePoto likes to make trades, and they still have any number of veteran players they could trade if they want to go all in on a total rebuild. So you know, maybe they'll continue climbing the charts, but uh, it'll be interesting to see I'll be very curious to see what their list looks like when we update it at midseason, you know, how many new guys are on the list at that point. Well, and Sheffield will probably have graduated by then, you would think, depending on how Yeah, and Eric Swanson, who's another guy that yeah. got in the trade, will probably have graduated by then, too. Um, but, you know, will they have made more trades and brought in, you know, you know more quality prospects? You know, who are they going to get in the draft? I'll, I'll be very curious to see. Jonathan, thoughts? Yeah, and, and some of it, I think, will also depend on – how those guys perform you know it's one thing when you're starting at the bottom like they were and you just bring in a whole mess of talent it's one thing but 
then they have to go out and, and perform. You know, so I, I think, you know, if say, you know, I'm, I'm looking at uh, uh, Jim's uh, story, and one guy that sort of jumps out is Ricardo Sanchez, who's now moved around quite a bit, and, but very talented and still very young left-handed pitcher uh, who showed some signs last year of maybe figuring some things out uh, when he was with the Braves, but uh, got left behind by many of the other much better pitching prospects uh, in in that system. If he takes a step forward, then, you know, he could become uh, one of the sort of more interesting left-handed pitching prospects in baseball uh, then suddenly that helps move, you know, move them up. And I think there are a bunch of guys like that who are kind of interesting. And if they come out and, and do some, some good things, and then the guys that they got in the, in the draft have good first full seasons, then maybe we're talking about them uh, you know, in that sort of middle of the road, inching towards the, the upper half of farm systems. When you look at the rest of the teams that Jim gets into in that story, Jonathan, uh, which team is kind of really interesting to you as far as what they've done in 2018? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I tend to, you know, look at it at the teams that are are the teams that I do the lists for, and I did the Tigers and the Twins. Um, I think the thing that's interesting with the Twins is that it's more just that guys were good, uh, you know, were really, really good at the top of the list. Royce Lewis and Alex Kirilov. And Kirilov, no one knew exactly what to uh, what to expect from him because he had missed the 2017 season at Tommy John surgery, and he came out and proved to be one of the best pure hitters in the minor leagues across two levels of A-ball. And, you know, both he and Royce Lewis, uh, you know, should be in, in double-A this year. Uh, and add in Bruce, uh, Bruce Del Greaterall, a really talented right-hander who keeps putting Tommy John surgery further in his rearview mirror. And you've got, that's you know one of the best top threes, I think, uh, with some upside uh, in, in all of baseball. And, and, you know, then, you know, to add in the, the guys who had pretty good draft debuts, uh, you know, they've got a couple college guys, Trevor Larnick and Ryan Jeffers. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with, with those guys, but it, the twins sort of interest me because they've always been like a decent farm system. Um, they haven't been at like at, at the top in quite some time. And, and I think it's just the fact that those three guys at the top I've moved into, you know, are, are elite level players is, is what's elevated their system as a whole. All right, Jim, pick one more team for me. I, I'm going to take the Royals. They kind of parallel the Mariners to me in that, you know, if we ranked all 30 teams, the Royals, would have been that discussion for number 29 coming into the year. Um, and I don't think they, you know, they haven't made the splashy trades to go get three top 100 guys, but they had a great draft. I mean, they not only had three first round picks, you know, two of whom, you know, Brady Singer and Jackson Coar were college pitchers. They didn't expect to have any shot at uh, you getting them where they drafted them in the middle and the end of the first round. The third one, Daniel Lynch, I think probably boosted his stock more than any first round pick of all last year where his stuff was just clearly better in pro ball and he looks like he might be something special and they even had guys like Chris Bubix in the supplemental first round and Kyle Isbell an outfielder in the third round Austin Cox the fifth they had a really good draft and then you're talking about guys who are already in their system you know Quill Lee 
is kind of, I don't know if he's going to quite make our top 100 prospects list, but he's got really nice all-around tools. You know, Sully Matias hit a home run in the, in the Futures game, and David Ortiz compared him to a young Sammy Sosa. And, you know, you've guys like M.J. Melendez is one of the better all-around catchers in baseball, and Nick Prado, a first baseman. And some of those draftees helped at a low-class A team win the South Atlantic League Championship. I don't think the Royals are the deepest system, but I do feel like like they might have a pretty underrated top ten or so, uh, at least interesting guys. Um, and I'll be curious to see where their system stands a year from now. All right, guys. Hey, one podcast in the books for 2019. Great stuff, as always. Next week, Jonathan will be in Miami for the Rookie Career Development Program as it makes the big move from Virginia to the city of Miami. Um, we will have you on as, as part of that. You can fill us in on what's different with the program down in Miami, Jonathan. But until then, we want to thank everybody for tuning in and hope your 2019 is off to a great start. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>